Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Michael, how you doing, man? This, 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 we were at, we're at the, not really the halfway mark, but the all-star break. We got a little time here to dissect the team. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure, I'm not sure I expected to have the tone on this show that, that we're going to have today. How are you, buddy? Good. We have some positive things to talk about, which <laughs> usually we, we start with a positive and then go all negative. But I think today will be an overwhelmingly kind of glowingly positive podcast. So uh, there's obviously a, a lot that's happened since our last episode. We waited till after the St. Louis match, and then we had a podcast-only meeting immediately following that show. We did. Uh, you, me, and Gover. Listen, to, it's all your fault, of course. We all sat down and we said, look, we need to, be, we need to do better. We need to, we need to podcast better. Uh, we need to prep better. We need to do our ads for Jaspers better. Uh, we need to provide free, great, excellent journalism for the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post better. We just need to be better. It was heated. There was a lot of discussion, uh, but I think we're going to come out of it with a better episode today. What do you think? No, I think you're right. And and Gover, in his very Ryan Johansson esque way, <laughs> uh, had some very inspiring words to quote Roman Yossi. Uh, obviously, Gover is one of our leaders. He's a great person. He really cares, and he just wants the team to do well. And he had some great words. I don't know. I think you've got more of the Johansson personality, like <laughs> like the more like sort of like laissez faire kind of go with the flow. Oh, what are we? Where are we going today? Okay, Jaspers. We're gonna go to Jaspers. Um, I go. Hey, I do relate to Ryan Johansson very well. You've got a very dry and witty sense of humor. I think that's. I think you guys are both very similar. So maybe you're the one screaming at us uh, and having a come to Jesus meeting uh, when we, we when we make sure we give you the best possible episodes uh, that we have. So uh, obviously, a lot to get to. Um, it's been a, a ridiculous week of hockey for the National Predators. I, I I dare say the most enjoyable and most entertaining week of hockey we've seen the entire season. This, of course, coming off of we joke, but. Uh, a very important meeting that took place on Saturday before the Los Angeles Kings game. After our last episode, clearly all the players listened and were motivated um, because of how they played against St. Louis. And so we've got a lot to discuss. So there's also it's not just a halfway point, midway point, all star break sort of evaluation of this entire franchise, where it is right now, what the strategy should be moving forward. We've got some projections statistically on a lot of players that that uh, you know I think we can look at and say, would you take this or or has this been disappointing? And I think it's going to be pretty obvious on some of those names. Um, but basically the question I have and, and it, to me is sort of just like, is this predators, a team, a good team? Are, are they good at hockey? Is this now a good hockey team? And I think we're going to try to dissect that at this point of the season uh, over the course of this episode, before we do, of course, uh, go, go read the national scene, the national post uh, support, good local reporters and journalism, but also where should somebody go if they want a good burger during the Preds game? They should definitely go to Jasper's. That I, 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 it's always astonishing how wordy the wordsmith gets when describing Jasper's. If you, if you ask me to give you a story and you're like, I need the copy to be 1200 words on Jasper's, I could do that. <laughs> but talking, talking about it, especially since I just woke up like less than an hour ago, I'm not really known <laughs> right now. So, please um, yeah, so go to Jasper's, of course. The parking is free. The game room is awesome. The air hockey table is amazing. My wife. I can't believe she did this. My wife put her beer down on the air hockey table. We took our daughters and again, shout out to, to all the listeners who go to Jasper's on Sundays, two for ones and the kids go right into the game room, but she put her beer down like this, this time we go and she puts her beer down on the air hockey table. Now within mo within seconds, like 10 seconds, she realized her mistake and picked up the beer, but I was, I've never been more disappointed. You know, sounds like uh, she's been hanging out with Steve Cavendish for too long. Wow, it's I don't think he move right there. It it is a calf move, but he's not. He doesn't do that. He just traps the puck. But um, yeah, Steve Cavendish, of course, uh, of the National Banner. Um, he uh he does he does trap the puck during the air hockey games, and I don't think he's accepting of the fact that that is illegal. My wife at least learned very quickly. Like after literally ten seconds, she picked up her beer. Nobody had to tell her, but I was very disappointed. So uh, just protect the air, like the sanctity of the air hockey table is a special place. Uh, my two daughters love it. There's no dead spots. It's a beautiful table. It's like brand new. It's awesome. And oh, by the way, free. So when you go to Jasper's, go check out the air hockey table. Uh, again, ten dollars smash burgers, three dollar beers. Um, when it comes to um, 
Preds games, home and road, and of course the gold standard cocktail as well. So make sure you go check out Jasper's. It's a it's a really it's a killer place to go. You can do literally anything there. You can have have a date. You can have a happy hour. You can watch games. You can take the family. It's it's great. Um, all right. So uh, I just I guess I'll just start. Uh, was this the best week? The most important week of hockey for the Nashville Predators? H- how do you define this week? And we'll get into the meeting and what it means. And again, evaluating the first half and looking ahead to the second half and all that stuff. But I just am curious. Just h- how would you describe? The three wins, all at home, all over top, what, 12-ish type teams, all good competition, lots of goals. Uh, how do you describe this week of hockey? Yeah, no, I think that's it's a good observation. It, it, I mean, you, I don't know how you can say they've had a more important week than this week. Um, they beat LA 5-3, to three, beat Winnipeg 2-1, beat New Jersey 6-4. 13 goals in three games for a team that's averaging, was barely averaging like 2.75 goals per game before that. Awfully impressive. Um, UC Saros looked really good. And I think something I noticed was they gave him a little bit. They gave him, obviously, the goal support he's been lacking this entire season. But the defense also played a little bit tighter. Um, it just seemed like they weren't they weren't letting teams get to like the slot or get to right in front of the crease and tee off on Saros. At the, there was still some of that. But it looked like it, they had tightened it up a little bit. And it wasn't just a free-for-all in front of the net. So... That was that was something that was good too. And what I like is three wins against three quality opponents. Those are three high caliber playoff teams right there. And I think you saw the kind of back and forth of of what to expect from this team. I mean, they go out and they beat the Kings by two goals. They have three goals in that third period. They really kind of poured it on at the end. Um, same thing with New Jersey, and then they beat Winnipeg in a close one goal game. I think if you played Winnipeg in a playoff series, that's kind of those are a two one game is what you can expect most of the time. You play against LA or New Jersey, you're probably going to expect higher scoring games. Um, so yeah, I think we we kind of saw highs and lows of the team of what to expect, and I think it was good that they had the meeting because obviously the three wins are kind of the, the fruit of, of what came out of that meeting. So good for them. And and uh, and, and I'll get you to rattle off all those stats um, uh, since the meeting because you you posted it on Twitter uh, at MG uh, Sports underscore of course all the all the the scoring that has taken place. Tanner Janot with the wraparound against Winnipeg was uh fantastic and you know like there's just there is so much there was so much to like about that game like they completely dominated i thought i I just thought like i know they gave up the goal early um and 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 they gave up a lead against the kings and like there was obviously a lot of scoring against new jersey but like that winnipeg game because it was in the division you're chasing a team in the division and frankly like Winnipeg, again, is built like a team with big, strong, physical, fast forwards that can score with lots of skill and a great goaltender. I I agree. That's the kind of game you should expect. But the Preds were the better team for almost, I mean, essentially 57 minutes after the first goal. The Preds just completely carried the the, the play the entire game. And then they kind of did that against New Jersey. Again, if you look at sort of all the metrics, they were just basically better. Than Winnipeg across the board, and I thought even with the eye test, forget the metrics, they were just the better team that night. And I, I think you're starting to see that again. The question is, and <laughs> there's a lot to discuss here because Alex Carrier is a big part of this discussion moving forward. Being injured, I, I love the fact that he stands up for his guy, but like, and he's going to maybe don't a lot. fight someone who's six seven, two hundred thirty pounds when you're only five eleven. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason he's never been in a fight before because now he's out four to six. I'm assuming with a problem with his you know, his, his, his punching fists. Uh, and, and I guess like, again, the defense was rounding into form. How does this affect this team moving forward? We'll get into that a little bit um, as well. Also some, there is, so there is some negative on the show today with Carrier and also think, Bally sports, by the way, there's some news with Bally we'll get to in a minute, yeah. but um, well, I think the thing about the jets twin to me, that laid out the blueprint of how this team needs to play. If they can do it consistently of how this team needs to play to one, make it into the playoffs Two, be taken seriously as a team who can do some damage in the playoffs. And three, I think that needs to be the kind of game they play. They need, I think they need to forget about this whole fitting into the John Hines smash mouth identity. And they need to play like they did against Winnipeg because they outshot the jets 41 to 33. They outhit them 29 to 19. They won the edge in scoring chances, 41 to 37 uh, high danger chances. They out, they had more 22 to 11. The penalty kill went three for three. And I think the thing that really stuck out the most to me, and I think this could potentially be, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I think this could potentially be the Predators, the line that carries them, if you will, 
the Forsberg glass Duchesne line in that game specifically, they had a 77.2 Corsi rating, which is really, really good. They dominated in shots 12 to three. They dominated scoring chances 11 to three. They dominated high danger chances for seven to two. That line right there has, has not only been driving the offense, but they have, they have not, I think they gave up one, they've given up one goal since they've been formed uh, and kept as the top line. To me, the Forsberg glass Duchesne line is clicking right now. We're seeing Cody Glass kind of thrive right now in the in this top six first yeah. line center role. And I think this is I, if you want the kid to do well and succeed, I think you keep him there. I don't think you break this line up unless the whole season goes sideways and you're just trying to figure out something to to, to make it work. But the Forsberg Glass Duchesne line, I think they're they're a key driver of the offense right now. And we've seen in the last three games in particular, they're scoring more goals than they have pretty much all season. But I think you keep that line together because it just looks really good. And I think we're seeing Cody Glass thrive, one, when he's playing with other offensively talented players, and two, when when I think we're seeing Cody Glass play well because he thinks the coaching staff believes him in, believes in him and he has confidence. He thinks the coaching staff has confidence in him. I'm not saying that they don't, but yeah. I think we're seeing a player really come into his own because he has that confidence of like, hey, they trust me to go out and do this. Well, and and if you if you, if I would have told you, and this goes into sort of some of the stat production projection here, that, that Yusel Parson and Cody Glass would be your top two centers, and but not only would they be your top two centers, well, I guess Johansson, I guess in theory is up there, um, but but that Yusel Parson would be on pace for roughly fifty points, maybe thirteen ish goals, Cody Glass thirteen fourteen goals, forty points. If I would have told you you're going to get ninety points from Cody Glass and Yusel Parson at the end of the year, because that's their p- current pace for the rest of the season. If they played an 82 game, a full 82 games, I, that, that is like, I, I that would be astonishing. I think I would have, people would have like asked what drugs I was on. <laughs> if I, if I would have, if I would have told somebody that before the season, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't even know when we were going to see Yusuf Parson and called up this year, if at all. Um, Cody glass, I think when they, when they started the season, I think he was centering the fourth line. Um, and he was playing, I think I believe at that point he was playing with Cole Smith and was it Ellie Tolvanen or something like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um and he was he was getting seven to eight minutes a game. I don't I don't think and again, if the Predators weren't struggling this year and, and so many things didn't go wrong and go against them at the beginning of the year, who knows if Cody Glass gets that chance to be in the top six? Who knows if Yusuf Parson yeah. gets that call up and gets thrown in there? Because when they called Parson up, it, it seemed like they were kind of desperate for something good to just cling to. They bring him up and and he starts playing really well. And it's like, oh, then the, he becomes a story. This young kid, seventh round draft pick, kind of rose to the ranks. And everyone's talking about Parson, how well he's playing. And that kind of takes a little bit of the edge off of how underperforming the team is. Cody Glass gets put into the top six, performing really well, scoring goals. And now all of a sudden it's it's less about like how much the team was struggling. It's like, look at how good Cody Glass is. Look at how good Yusuf Parson is. Maybe yeah. this is what the team needed and stuff. So it, it they were two moves. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to give John Hines too much credit, but those are two buttons that he pushed at the right time. I'll, I'll say that. Well, there, there's a large discussion about this this meeting and and what it means about John Hines. Um, so we're, there's there's certainly going to be some questions we're going to have to raise about that. Oh, I meeting. got some things to say about this meeting. Yes, and, and so we'll get to that because I also had some conversations on Friday with some folks in. We were at the actually at the Rand Carthon press conference. You and I were, and I had some conversations. Uh, for for the Titans, and I had some conversations with some folks that are pretty close to the, the the Preds as well about what what exactly was going on inside the locker room. And this that was before the day before the the meeting took place. Uh, again, Parson in right now, twenty one points. Cody Glass, eighteen points. I think they're just they're very smooth. They're just ve- like they they are the, the confidence you can tell is growing in both of them, and they're just smooth. Parson came up with it. Glass has sort of developed that that sort of like confident smoothness where he's just sort of like in the right place at the right time, no wasted motion. Um, it's funny you mentioned how they played against Winnipeg, because what I wrote down that I wanted to talk to you about, because I know you've been you've been harping on the the sort of physicality versus the skill you know, direction that John Hines likes to take his teams. And I wrote down power plus speed watching that Winnipeg game, because I, I felt like you don't want to abandon the physicality altogether, because that's still a thing you have to have in the postseason in particular. But the speed and the skill has to be packaged with it so that there's a balance there. And with Parson in and with Glass, like and and you mix in Johansson's size, all of a sudden Forsberg and Duchesne have come to life. Um, you know, Granlin's got a bunch of skill. Like you're starting to see sort of that blend of power and speed and skill kind of all together. And I think power is the phrase 
not physicality. It's power that makes Philip Forsberg great, in my opinion, right? Like it's his, he needs to play with great power. And I think if all the skill guys ha- have that little added power element, to me, that's the style of play that can lead to a- an actually good hockey team. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. You don't want to, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't want to abandon the power physicality kind of aspect of the game. But I, I said at the very beginning of the season, the Predators need more speed to compete with the the elite teams, particularly in the Central Division in the Western Conference. But if you want to compete for a cup, you need more speed. We saw Colorado win last year like that. We saw Carolina give them fits in the playoffs the last two years or the last year because of that. And it's something that I kind of so I, I kind of liken it to the 2016-17 Ducks when they got to the playoffs and they're playing the Predators. Like, yeah, Ryan Getzlev had 73 points. Ryan Kessler, 58 points, I think. Ricard Raquel had 33 goals. But other than those three, they didn't really have a lot of scoring punch. They didn't have a lot of speed. They didn't have a lot of skill. They they made their bread and butter with going out there and just beating opponents into submission. And we saw in, in the in the conference final against the Predators, when the Predators, when Colton Sissons was put on the, on the top line, that top line got, got a speed boost. When Kevin Fiala went down and they had to kind of mix and match and they were throwing Pontus Aberg out there and Freddie Gaudreau, they got they had an infusion <laughs> of youth. The, the Predators became a faster team. And I think the Predators had more skill that year than the Ducks did. And we saw that the Ducks just couldn't keep up. That's what I've been saying with, with John Hines. I don't think you abandon the smash mouth physicality part of the game. Right. I just don't think you make that the center of your identity. You need to come out and you need to have more speed, more skill, more scoring. They're lacking in the scoring area right now. But I think that Winnipeg game was a good example of, I mean, they outshot them or they out hit them by 10. You, you still have the physicality part of the game, but you need to you need to put more pressure on them with special teams. You need to put more pressure on them with speed. You need to put more pressure on them with trying to create some odd man rushes and stuff like that. So that's what I was. That's my point of trying to get away from the John Hines identity. You keep part of that, but you don't make that your sole identity. You need to find a way yeah. to yeah. put the pressure on other teams without solely going out there and just running them into the wall, basically. Yeah, and and I think there's a difference between sort of having skill and playing without power, right? Like you, you can be finesse. That's almost like the way Lavi's teams, Peter Laviolette's teams were at the end where it was like too much finesse and not enough physicality. You can play with a ton yeah. of physicality and without skill, but it's about playing with speed and skill, but with pa- like packaging that power into the speed and skill is what makes the best players in the NHL elite. Like that is what makes guys. And again, Forsberg is and Johansson, frankly, are the two guys that just can play like Yossi plays with a tremendous speed and skill and is certainly stronger than, than like his size. But the two guys that have this sort of like next level combo of physicality, power and speed and skill. I mean, Johansson's got maybe the best hands of any player that's ever played on the team. And Forsberg's got the best pure goal scoring ability of anybody that's ever played on the team. But it's because they're big and powerful that, that when they're playing like that, that is when they are at their best. And I think this, this week, We've seen that. Now, here's the question. This is the million-dollar question before we get to the meeting. Um, and certainly, what are they going to do without Alex Carrier for the time being? And uh, to me, the answer to this question is very tenuous at best, in, in my opinion. But they are, if, if I would have told you six games over 500, basically tied for the last playoff spot or first or second wild card, they've gained some ground this week. Um, they are. Is this a good hockey team? They have been a top 15 scoring team since Christmas. They, they, they are an upper half offense since Christmas, which I can't believe I'm saying. We know Soros has been extraordinary. We know Lankinen has been extraordinary. The defense with Carrier had started to settle in. Are the Preds a good team? That's the question. I, I, <clears throat> I, I don't know. That's the frustrating <laughs> part. I want to say yes, but history and just the numbers tell me like, no, but kind of maybe <laughs> it's it's the most frustrating question, I think, in all of sports right now. Like, yeah, they've been a top 15 scoring team since Christmas, but they're still 26 in scoring overall this season. They're, they're still that if they didn't have this 13 goal explosion over the last week, they would still they would probably be like 29th in scoring. But they're at 2.8 goals per game. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would I would like to say that most playoff teams or at least most playoff teams that, that win playoff series average at least three goals per game, like minimum. You you have to be a three-goal-per-game team if you want to make some noise in the playoffs. The power play is still 27th. 
They're still allowing the fourth most shots per game, which, by the way, the 34.5 shots they're allowing per game is the most they've ever allowed as a franchise ever per game. Just let that sink in for a second. They still spend the eighth most time on the penalty kill. Like the numbers say they're not a good team, but then you look at the standings, they're 24, 18 and six, 54 points. They're only, this is the crazy part. They're only two points out of third place in the central division. They're one point out of the final wild card spot. I mean, you look at where they were last year, they were 28, 14 and four at this point, they had 60 points. So they're not too far off from where they were last year. I think Saros is playing better this year than he was last year. I, I I don't know. That's that's the frustrating part of your question is kind of maybe question mark. I shrugging emoji. I, I'm not sure. Like <laughs> they, they, and they, they, and the listen, last listen. the last two weeks, they look like a good team, but overall, the totality of the season, they look like an average team. So yeah, and again, there's also a lot of teams right now in the Western Conference that are playing sort of 500ish hockey. Colorado is not one of them, but Winnipeg, yeah. 500 hockey right now. Minnesota, 500 hockey right now. Um, St. Louis four and six in their last 10, you, you know, you look at um, what's kind of happening is a lot of those teams are regressing to the mean and the predators yeah. are kind of, of overshooting where they have been tra- traditionally this, this entire season. So, well, and, and again, the question is again, are, are like, are they one Alex Carrier injury away from being a bad team? And I think are or a not good team. Like they're clearly not a great team. They're not an elite team. Boston is elite. Then there's a lot of great teams. I would put, I still think I might actually power rank Colorado as the best team in the Western Conference, which is so tough to do because I don't know how much staying power Dallas and Winnipeg have. I don't know. Seattle is sort of, their hold on that division is very tenuous as well. Like the pack got tighter this week because Colorado's surging, Nashville's surging. Um, Calgary and Edmonton are, you know, basically even with Colorado and Nashville in the standings within a couple of points. Like it got real tight this, this week. And uh, again, we'll get to the meeting, but uh, this is a good team at home. They've won five straight at home. They're 14, seven and three at home now. Like they've, they've rediscovered a little bit of that. Their, their goal differential is only negative four. They're, they're ga- like, there's some signs that if this continues, they're a good hockey team. They're a playoff hockey team and they got a chance to pull an upset in a, in a playoff series. If they play like this, Matt Duchesne yeah. has Matt Duchesne's almost a point per game over the last month and a half, Roman Yossi's basically at a point per game, you know, the last 40 ish, I think it's 40, 41 points in 40 games, something like that. Um, give or take Forsberg, 41 and 48 for yeah, Forsberg so. is having, if it wasn't for last year, this would be the statistically be the best year of Philip Forsberg's career. And I know a lot of people have said that he's Same been struggling and it doesn't look like it, but this statistically would be the best year of Philip Forsberg's career had it not been for last year. Oh, and exactly the same thing for Roman Yossi. I, I don't. I think. I think if he's on pace for like seventy-ish points, seventy-one points, yeah, that would have been sixty-five points was his career high in a, exactly. in a season a couple of years ago before last year, and he's he's already at forty-one points midway through the season. He could theoretically get into the seventy-five to eighty-point range again. And I, I think the perception is that these guys are having down years because the team was losing, whereas last year they were winning a lot more than they have been now, and. All the good stuff looked like it was magnified. Kind of well, like let me let go, go. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead and finish. I was going to say just kind of like they they make the this the statement that like you can't give the Vezina to a defenseman that didn't make it into the playoffs. Like I think it's because good goaltender. years are perceived goaltender. goaltender uh, sorry, I get Vezina and Norris mixed up in my head a lot. <laughs> you, basically, you can't give an award, uh, an individual award, to a player that was on a bad team that didn't make the playoffs. So that's kind of been the thinking, especially in the yeah. NHL, but a lot of other leagues as well. And I th- I think that losing games makes it makes the perception of a good season not to seem not as well not as good so so I so this is this is let, let me let me give you some stat production uh, projections here Matt Duchesne again he's come to life he scores again and if he can go on a tear then he'll kind of blow these projections out of the water but he was on pace for twenty three goals and sixty four points that is a that is thirty percent less production than last season. That that is a huge step back. Um, Forsberg's on pace for like 32, 33 goals, 70-ish, 70 plus, 75 plus points. To your point, that would be not only his best career, but almost last year, 42 goals, 84 points. It would not be, it would be a slight per- decrease in production, but we expected a, a mild regression from him. And it's not, it's not all that that big. It's not nearly as big with Duchesne. Roman Yossi last course- year to that point, last year, Forsberg um had more consistency in the lines he's played with this year. He's, he's, That's he's true. been on two or three different lines. So he hasn't really had that, that be able to build that chemistry with his line mates. So I think that 
kind of plays a part yeah. into his little dip in production, but he's still on pace for a really good season. The three big ones, though, Duchesne, Johansson, and Granlund. And it's interesting that Johansson is the loudest voice in the meeting, according to all the players and, and the coaching staff after the game on Thursday. That again, he's on pace for, you know, 42 points, 19 goals. He had 26 and 63 last year. Granlin was on, had 64 points last year. He's basically on point uh, on pace to match his goal production from last year, which was 11, but he's going to have, tw- he's on pace for like 20 fewer points, which again, is like 30%, 30 or 30% production decrease. Same thing with Duchesne. Now, Nino Niederreiter, if I told you was going to score 23 goals, I think you probably would have said, I'll take it, right? Oh, absolutely. If I and if I would have told you Parson and Glass would combine for a, a, a like a ninety-ish point eighty-two game pace because they haven't played all the games, of course, uh, I think everybody, everybody and their mother would would absolutely sign up for that. Now, if I told you that Ellie Tolvanen and Philip Tomasino were on, we're going to score four points <laughs> it, through the entire first half of the season, four total points, and um, after sixty combined points last season i think we would have we would have some some major problems but hey cole smith's got two goals so all's right with the world <laughs> well and tanner's you know of course getting the getting off the he had what was a 38 game drought which is just incredible for him he scores on the wraparound which is a critical goal in that winnipeg win and then gets the empty netter and sometimes you just need that empty netter to kind of like start 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 some confidence a little bit and you package it with the way he played against winnipeg i think I think the two um, goals that he had the last two games, I'm I'm hope at least if you're a Predators fan, like you hope that that kind of sparks him and builds that confidence. I I think Tanner Janot has really struggled this year. I, I was I was I've, I've kept having to delay my story. Now that he scored a couple <laughs> goals, I can finally throw some meat in there. And I and since yeah, we don't have anything going on next week, I'm going to publish it. But I think he's played with something like close to 20 different line variations or combinations oh, this yeah. year with all the different players he's played with. So it's. It's hard for a player like that to have to kind of replicate that. Like you look at last year, he played with Colton Sissons and Jakob Trenin, I want to say for like 90 something percent of the season this year, yeah, he played yeah. with them for, I think it was like 30% of the season. Like it's just, it's hard for someone like that to, to get into a groove when, when the environment around him is constantly changing. So like by definition, this is a good hockey team. It's not a great hockey team. It's it's not an elite hockey team. Again, I think I'd put Boston on a tier by itself. <laughs> and then I'd probably have like 10 or 12 teams that are in like the potentially great category. And then there's maybe even less than that. Maybe it's like five to eight teams that are in that potentially great category. And then this is a good team. This is a good team by definition right now. They have a, they have their elite goaltending. They, they have a winning record. They're in the playoffs. Um, again, the problem I have with saying that is it feels like their grasp on good is very, very tenuous that if it, they, that they, they're, they're one bad injury, more, like one more injury because Carrier is such a, it could not come at a worse time to me, to me. Um, and that's the biggest issue with the Carrier injury is that it could not come at a worse time. And so they're surging into this break. They'll get the break. That's going to be one of his four to six weeks, which is really actually beneficial, but, it feels like one injury, one bad week of hockey, you know, sorrow, something happens with sorrow. It's like it, it feels like and I know this is what we say with NFL teams, right? Like everybody's just one quarterback injury away from being terrible. And, and I understand that that's the nature of professional sports, not the 49ers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good point. Um, the, the, they are a good team by almost every measure. The power play sucks. The offense has gotten better, but they're a good team. And frankly, this week has been very fun to consume an entertaining product as a fan of the team. So, but, but, <laughs> but I think that's I, important too, because I think a lot of the last month or so, I've seen a lot of fans on Twitter, social media, everything just say that they've mentally checked out on this team because it's not fun to watch. It's not fun to go to a game and spend money on tickets and all that stuff. And I think right. now, if they could, if they can translate this last week into, prolonged success over the next month or two and they can really make a run i think they can kind of bring some of those fans back into the fold that they've really lost yeah it it, so again i did not expect to have this positive of a conversation at this point of the season with the break to be six games over to be a good home team to have the offense playing much better the power play is still a major question Uh, the you know the the secondary scoring is what's helping right now it's the development of parson it's development of glass it's tanner janeau getting off the schneid it's all these other pieces and Oh, by the way, Duchesne 
Forsberg and Yossi come to life when it matters the most. And so I think I, I we need Johansson. Johansson is sort of the last piece to produce. And, and I know he's not ever going to be like an 80 point guy, but he can't be a 40 point guy. And that's like what he's on pace for. Um, but it is good to hear that he was the most important voice. I think it's a great sign that he was the most important voice in this meeting. And we'll get to the meeting in just a minute. So, so I know I've been, we've been teasing the meeting for, for the entire show. We will get to the meeting. Uh, but before we do, the Gold Standard, hosted by Michael Gallagher of the National Scene and the National Post, is brought to you by... Jaspers. That's right. I tried to say it with a little more enthusiasm, a little more oomph there. Jaspers. More, more gusto. I'm going to, every time in the morning when I get ready, I'm just going to like start brushing my teeth through my hair and be like, Jaspers, Jaspers, Jaspers in the, in the mirror until I get it right. You're like the, the right inflection. The national news broadcaster like stares at the TV and like, like Ron Burgundy, like scotch, 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 yes. Jaspers, 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 Jaspers. Um, so, I, so here's the deal. Predators are a good team, not an elite team, not a great team. Jaspers is elite. They are elite. And they combine power and speed because they get rid of all these sort of preconceived notions about a sports bar where you're going to get kind of, you know, crappy food that makes you feel bad. No, this is an elevated menu with a fantastic set of entrees. You can go have a nice dinner there if you want to, but it's also a great place to watch games, especially Preds games with great specials. Also a problem at sports bars, specials in this town. I can't understand uh, like the, the specials that some restaurants get away with calling happy hours and specials is absurd to me. A dollar off a $16 glass of wine is not a special, okay? A $3 beer, that is a special. And that's what you get when you go to Jasper's and uh, during Preds games. You get $3 beers, $10 burgers. That is a happy hour. Parking in this city is an abomination. You know who's, a, you know who's addressing this issue head on? Jasper's. Dr- addressing issues, helping our society evolve and move forward. It's great. Go to Jasper's. The menu's great. Everything. So, they, and they... they they have meetings every day, I'm sure, <laughs> to, to make sure their to make sure their products are are excellent. Um, they and don't con- have to have a come to Jesus meeting because they yeah. haven't been in a slump. No, they're and they constantly are progressing and evolving the menu. There's always new stuff on there. They're, they've they've added they added the game room since opening two years ago during the pandemic, and now they've got this free awesome game room for for kids. My my wife and I again, I think we said this last week, but my wife and I we did beat our six and four year old at shuffleboard, but it was much closer than we would like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 2116. And we were like, how the hell did these two little girls figure this game out so fast? Um, okay, go to Jasper's. It's all it's all there, man. It's all great stuff. All right, let's get to the meeting. So Friday, you and I were sitting there at the the, the, the Rand Carthon press conference. And I talked to a few people afterward outside the Titans facility about the Preds. These are guys that are pretty close to the Predators. Uh, some folks that I talked to that I said, listen, I've heard some things about the message getting stale, about people tuning out John Hines, about it not being that that it's and you and I've talked about it on the show that, it, that when you get into these slumps, when you get into these ups and downs, it's very hard to change your message. John, you can hear it in John Hines. It sounds like the answers to his questions at press conferences. He doesn't have any new answers for the same questions that have been asked for a long time. And coming off the terrible performance. So, of course. Now, uh, as as reported, I believe um, I believe this was Alex over at A to Z that reported this um, that that he organized it, and that but that the players led it. So here's my here's my first thought when I when I when I heard about when I heard about it. It's only one of two. First of all, it it reeks of desperation, which is a good thing. This team should be desperate if they want to be good this year. But there's only two options here, right? Psychologically, I know you're psych you're psych guy. It, there's only two options here if you're John Hines. Either this is like one of the most savviest psychological motivational tricks that he's ever pulled in the history of his career because he he knows how to change the messenger a little bit and allow someone else to kind of get the message across, uh, give them some empowerment to to hold themselves accountable, but doing it in a way that sort of feels like it's all them, right? So that's that's that could be one option here, which which it seems like with three straight wins might have been the case or he knows that there's no way that they're listening to him anymore <laughs> and that they've tuned him out. His message is landing on deaf ears and that the only way he can succeed is if the players are going to talk to each other and figure it out themselves. I don't know which side of that spectrum you fall on. I think I, I will say I have been told by a source close to the team as well, maybe the same 
someone of the same the people that you're talking to that John Hines is dangerously close to losing this locker room altogether. And I was told that last week around the, the Rand Carthine press conference as well. And I, <laughs> I've, I've, I've also been told that, and I'll, I'll say the, the person that told me this is the same person that told me Peter Lavillette was on thin ice about a week before he was fired. So I trust this source. Okay. I, I don't think we're getting bad information. And I think even if we, even if we weren't getting this information, you can clearly see that this is where they were heading. John Hines has been praised for being a great talent, talent evaluator, a great developmental coach, but never have we heard anyone say he's a great leader. Never have we heard anyone describe mm. him as a great motivator. Peter Laviolette had that shtick. He was known as a master motivator. How many times were they down a couple goals in the locker room and they go in an intermission and then he would give this impassioned and blazing speech and they would come out guns a blazing and, and, and do sort of flip the script a little bit. John Hines isn't known as... But as, but, but even, even Laviolette with that skill set, which I agree with you, is much better than maybe John Hines. Even that stuff does wear thin eventually. Like even being oh, good it at, does for sure. Like but that, it, that that's his shtick too. Is that that act wears thin after whatever four or five years? But but the the difference is John Hines, Peter Laviolette, excuse me, has the skins on the wall. He's been yeah. he's won a cup. He's been to the playoffs. He's won playoff games more than two than John Hines has. And <laughs> Peter Laviolette, I, the message may wear thin, but it took into his sixth season before it, it got there. We're in year three of John Hines, and it's already wearing thin. And John Hines hasn't yeah. even had half the success in the postseason that Peter Laviolette did his first three years with the, with the team. So yeah. I, I do think it is it is a, a desperate attempt for him to try to save face because he's not a great motivator. I think he he was like, well, I'll call the meeting that way. They like they know I'm the one who's calling it, but I'm going to let them do the talking and air their grievances, basically. And I think we saw this exact situation play out January 2020, except Peter Laviolette, for whatever reason, didn't have the same blind support from David Poyle that John Hines does. It cost Peter Laviolette his job. John Hines, I think, is is kind of hanging on because he does have that support from David Poyle. Whether he should be getting it or not is another thing. But yeah, I think and and looking at it, I wanted to compare these two these two seasons. So in 2020, Peter Laviolette was fired 41 games into the season. The Preds were 19, 15, and seven. The power play was at 16.8 percent. The penalty kill was at 74.1 percent. They were averaging 3.27 goals per game. Wow. This year, through 41 games, the Predators were 19, 16, and 6. So a one-goal <laughs> difference in the loss column. They're averaging less than three goals per game. The power play, 16.7%. So basically right where the power play was when Peter Laviolette was yeah. fired. Penalty kills at 79%. So the, simil- the similarities between these two years are, are eerily, eerily similar. It's creepy, dude. <laughs> those are, Very those creepy. Are, those are so within creepy. a point or two of being the exact same team you were. The two seasons are, are, are creepily similar. But there's, it feels like there's more optimism around this year because they they have had a three game win streak. They are playing better. You you almost just kind of wonder if Peter Laviolette had been afforded that kind of same little little bit of a leeway, a little bit of a leash there, if they could have turned that the end of that season around. But it's 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 just creepy to me how they're the exact almost the exact same record. The power plays almost the exact same. The penalty kills almost the exact same. Except the only the only difference is this team is worse offensively than that team was. Well, and and you've and you as you've already said. Peter Laviolette had a lot more proven playoff deep success than, than John Hines has. So you 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 figure Lavi would maybe get more benefit of the doubt. Now he'd been here twice as long, and and so there were a lot of other issues there. I think that that were a part of that. But but you're right. He they 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 gave Hines the January essentially, and it worked so far. I actually think from the meetings perspective, I actually think it's both. I I think it's both. I think it's it is he knows his his stuff is not getting through to people. It's not working. But I also think he knew that, that the only way they come out of this is if, is if guys like Joe Hansen light a fire and guys, and all of a sudden, you know, that, that they sort of take some ownership and control over it. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of a savvy, it's a super savvy move by him, but also it's super savvy because nothing else he's doing is working. Right. So like, there's this, it's sort of, again, I, they're a good hockey team, but having to have this meeting either means one like again it 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 only leads you down two different it, there's two paths here they are going to come together so well and play more hockey like they did this week that it is very clear that they are maybe a two or three seed in this division and very clearly a team that can win a playoff series right because they've got great goaltending and they've got great skill at the top of the formation they've developed some young pieces this year Alex Carrier comes back They've got a good defensive core with guys that have played tons of playoff hockey. Ekholm, Yossi, McDonough, 
Like they, they have a chance to actually be a really good team, but they have to do it consistently over month, two months of time, not just one week with three games. And uh, granted, it's the best hockey they've played. It's the most entertaining hockey they've played, and they did it against three top again ten or twelve teams in the league. I I just it it also feels like if you have to have that meeting. It means you are this close to the entire thing crumbling to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of to, to use a football analogy, I kind of liken it to. I mean, I, I know you're a big Aaron Rodgers fan. I, I feel like there's a lot of there was a couple of games where Aaron Rodgers would throw a hail mary, particularly the one against the Lions, and they would they would win the game, and all anyone would talk about was how great the win was, how the hail mary was awesome, how it was a fun it was a fun play to watch. But you don't talk about the two or three interceptions that caused you to be behind and need the Hail Mary. You don't talk about the fumbles that you lost that caused you to need that Hail Mary at the end of the game. Like, yes, having a Hail Mary in a game winning play is great, but you're not going to have sustained success if you're counting on Hail Marys at the end of every game to win. And I feel like that's kind of where this team at team is at. Like, yeah, the, the meeting was a good thing. And I think you're playing well now because of that. And I'm curious to see how they'll play when they come back from the break. Having 10 days off, it's great. You just had a meeting last week. You're still fired up from it. But then you get almost you get almost two weeks off, basically. Yeah. You come back. Are you still going to have the same fire and the same juice that you had right after the meeting? Or is it just going to be more of the same thing? And I think this is the, the key part of their schedule. Because the meeting was so important to their success the last three games, when you come back from the All-Star break and you've had all this time off, are you still going to have the same fire? Are players going to be a little bit lazy? Are you going to forget everything that just fired you up last right, week right. and i think that's something that again and we we said it all season long consistency is this team's weakness because they win three games and they lose six games and they win four games and they lose five games and they're up and down all over the place you just had probably the the best stretch of hockey this team has played this entire season then you get this time off and i do think they need the time off i think and they matt Duchesne even said like they need some time to recharge the batteries because after the the St. Louis game, I think he said that people were just not feeling it. They didn't have the same energy. Like there was a lot of there was a lot going on. And I think this team is battling fatigue, largely because of the way that they're playing. They make it harder on themselves to try to come back from these multi-goal deficits because <laughs> they're just letting teams tee off on Saros and Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. But but I think I think the fatigue factor and, and Gover said this on It's All Your Fault. Like this team has just looked gassed the last probably week or so yeah. because of how they're playing. I think they need the rest, but I'm curious. Does getting the rest they need does that outweigh maybe losing some of the fire from the team meeting? And how how do they kind of how do they balance the two when they come back and they start playing the second half of the season? No, I think it's a great point because you you could argue to your point, like man, I wish they had like three or four more games, like right in a row here, to kind of continue the momentum, continue the energy, continue sort of the the self reflection and self um, conviction of like, hey, this is on us. We've got to do it. Let's elevate our energy levels to a certain point where we can play the way they have this week. And I understand that side of this thing. There's also an element. I think you could also argue to, to both of these are basically your points, but that they knew they had the break, so they could sort of, you know, how like you know, it, it, and it's kind of funny because the the way it worked against New Jersey at the end of the game, of course, where they've got a they've got a two man advantage, they score because basically these guys just had to ice the puck, right? They had to ice the puck a couple of times because they were so gassed. And it's like, you know, if you've got like eight, 38 seconds left to go with a one goal lead and you, or you're icing the puck, it's like you all you need is just 38 seconds of energy. Right. And I'm using that analogy to say they don't they knew they had three games to go with a break. Could they elevate and just push through the fatigue and know that they need the break, but then realize that, again, I think you're right. The question is, can you click it all back on again? and sort of play with that that level of purpose and that level of desperation and do it after you're not like do it when you're not fatigued knowing you've got a break coming up right i, I, I don't maybe i'm maybe i'm kind of not explaining this well but i i, I feel like it could be either of those two things and i don't we're only going to find out with time yeah. i i do I think hope that i hope that someone recorded the meeting that that, <laughs> that happened and kind of like when Pecorine scored his goalie goal, it was on loop playing in the locker room like for the rest of the season. I hope someone recorded this meeting and they just play the video in the locker room over and over and over when they come back so that maybe that'll help them keep the edge they have. Cole Smith has now passed Pecorine in the all-time Predators goal-scoring list at two, Pekka at one. So Pekka fell down the rankings another notch with Cole Smith's second goal. Um, I, so I just... I would still take Pecorine in a shootout, though. You give me Pecorini over <laughs> Cole Smith right. every day. Maybe you're right. Uh, I, what's interesting is I've I've 
I like I'm so torn on this team to your point. Like when, hey, are they good? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> like I'm so torn because I think they are their, their grasp on good is so th- thinly held and the injury thing could just destroy this team in a matter of seconds. But I also don't know if they're psychologically frail because of this meeting or psychologically strong because of the meeting. And if they're strong, then we're going to see it. After the break, they'll come back and they will play the same type of hockey. And I think we're going to see it. And if they do that and they do it for two weeks, which will still be way before the trade deadline, if they do that, then I think there's a chance that all of this stays together for the season. My concern with Alex Carrier being hurt is that they go shopping. And and that that is my concern with Carrier. I, I don't want to see. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what you think their plan should be. I mean, they gave up a bunch of goals, but New Jersey's very good in in the, the first game without him. Um, I don't I don't want to see them go shopping because I think that that that's not the thing that they need to make themselves better in the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Like they need more scoring in the playoffs. They don't need more defensemen. And so I don't feel like it's I just I, I don't <laughs> I don't think David Poyle can help himself, though. I, I, I just I really don't think he can. And look, you're 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 sitting here, and there's basically six, seven weeks left in the season. However many, however many weeks are left, I think David Poyle right now values making the playoffs over anything else, aside from you know winning the cup, which they're clearly not a cup contender this year. I think in his mind, another playoff run signals to ownership, signals to the fan base, at least in his mind. I'm not saying this is true, that this team is close to contending. Just give him some more time; he's going to work it out. Ideally, I think you you would like to have a little bit of you'd like to shore up the defense. You, but you also need to. If you're going to make a playoff run, you need a scoring forward. That's that's your area that you need to really solidify. The problem is, Predators only have 1.8 million dollars in cap space right now. So unless you're getting rid of a Mikhail Granlin, who's a five million dollar salary, or Niederreiter, who has a four million dollar salary, you're not really going to be able to make much of a move. I think if they do make a if they do make a trade, which I am not ruling it out because, like I said, David Boyle can help himself. The only guy that I think. That's worthy of that could step in for for Carrier and be good. That has a cap hit that's not going to cripple you is John Klingberg with Anaheim. He's probably the best bet if you're looking to, to bolster defense. He played top line defensive minutes with Dallas. He has just a one point nine million dollars salary, so making a trade work there wouldn't be too difficult. However, so, but, but where does he fit in if when Carrier comes back? You figure it out. I See, don't here's, know. Here's the thing: it if it's a four week thing and not a six week thing, and one of those is ten days of no games. There is zero reason to make a trade. I agree. If, if, zero we see reason. Them, if we see them pursue a defenseman, I think that tells us they know it's going to be closer to the six weeks and, yeah, and possibly even longer. So, again, but, but the, also the other problem to this, you need a scorer. The only scorers that, are, scorers that are available that we know of have high cap hits. Bo Horvat would be a phenomenal addition to this yeah. team, but he's got a $5.75 $5.75 million cap hit. Timo Myers, another it would be another great addition to this team, but he's got a six million dollar cap hit. You're looking to you you can't add scores with the resources you have in the cap space yeah. that you do. You're gonna have to clear out if you're gonna if you're gonna go out and get Bo Horvat, you're gonna have to trade Granlin to make it work. You're gonna have I, to trade Niederreiter to make it work. And I don't think they're gonna take away from the core nucleus of this team that they believe in. I don't know why, but they believe in this team the way it is. <laughs> I don't think they're going to tear away one piece to to get a, what they consider a slight upgrade. Like Nina Ryder, if he goes out and he's got 23 goals this year, you consider that a win. But yeah. right now, Bo Horvat's a 40 goal scorer right now, and if he if he gets you 10 more goals after you trade for him, is that do you really consider getting rid of getting rid of Nina Ryder? Do you consider is that a price you want to pay to get Bo Horvat? Uh, maybe. Um, I, 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 to me, it is either the top line elite score that they don't ever really have like Horvath that can be resigned in some way, shape or form for a long time, not just a, a rental. Uh, I, here's the thing that, and I, and I, this is probably going to drive you nuts because I, I, I adjust my sort of when to blow it all up or not blow it all up. This, I, like I have a deadline, right? And I am now, re- it's not like resigned to the fact well, the trade deadline you can't you can't blow it up after the trade deadline, so right. that's that's the cutoff point. Sure, sure, uh, but but so here's the thing: like I because and and again, recency bias, prisoner of the moment, whiplash in sports. I get it. One week you you blow it all up, the next week oh they're going to make the playoffs. Like I get it. That's how sports works. Um, if this is the team we are going to see the rest of the season, let's say they're fifteenth in scoring the rest of the season with the goaltending that they have, 
and 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 Alex Carrier comes back and he only misses, let's say, twelve games, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, three, four, four or five weeks, give or take, and they've got their six defensemen set, they've got their their goaltending situation is elite, and their forwards are scoring. I am actually coming around to the idea, and again, maybe I'm resigned to the idea of doing nothing being the right thing, <laughs> like. Don't acquire anything, but don't blow it up either because this team has a chance to make the playoffs. Like that, that, that's sort of where I'm coming around on this is that if they are still playing like this up to the deadline and they are consistently three goals a game, the offense feels like it's a little bit better, power play starts to show some signs of life, and you're getting everything else that's the same, and they play another six games over 500 clip, right? Every, every chunk of time or whatever. It's going to be hard for me to say blow it all up if they're sitting in third place in the Western Division, Western Western Conference or uh, 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 Central Division. Sorry. I, by the way, also by the way, side note: Aaron Rodgers three interceptions. That's like a whole season, dude. Okay, come on. Um, <laughs> is that is that are you are you around? Like, do you still just believe this team is bad? Because we just asked the question: Are they good? And by definition, they are kind of a good team. So, shouldn't a quote unquote good team be given a chance? Not not selling assets to buy a bunch of pieces and try to win anything, but given a chance to make the playoffs and like give the fans a playoff series or two best case scenario. Like have they earned that in your mind yet? Or are they still just, there's no chance this team could do anything. You need to fire Heinz and move all the big pieces that you can. At the beginning of the year, I was, I was firmly on sell everything, blow it up, but it's, it's difficult for me to sit here right now. They're two points out of third place in the central, one point out of a wild card spot to sit here and say, blow it up. Because the way they played the last week, and really since the beginning of the year, they've been they've been better since the beginning of the year, but you've really noticed it the last week with with the players meeting and, and all that stuff. If this is if they if they come back from the break and they continue to play the way they played the last three games and they continue that success and sustain it for the rest of the year. I think you have to give them a chance. I think it's the only thing you can do. And I, I think staying pat at the trade deadline. I mean, other than the, the Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat trade, name me a trade deadline move that David Boyle's made that's really turned out well for this team. I mean, Brian Boyle, maybe I, you could argue, but Wayne Simmons, <laughs> Ryan Hartman, Paul Gostad, Andre Kostitsin, like I, the list goes on of all these trade deadline acquisitions that have been brought in to make this team better. And you can argue it's almost yeah, made it worse. And that's that's the issue you run into trading for players and bringing them on when you're about 65, 70% of your way through your season is you don't have the luxury of time to, to bring them in, have them adapt, build some chemistry yeah. and, and have them gel as a cohesive unit. I mean, I think you keep this team the way it is. I, I think Kevin yeah. Gravel yeah. and Jordan Gross are, are serviceable enough defensemen that they can probably make up for Carrier being out. I'm not saying they're as good as Carrier, but I think you're not, I think they're, they're okay. They're solid. They're, you're not going to notice Carrier being out too much as opposed to, I don't know what the alternative would be if you had someone worse out there. But like these are these are two guys that have played in the NHL. They 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 know what to do. Like they're not they're not great, but you can get by with them basically. Yep. If you're looking to go out and make a trade for a defenseman, if Carrier is going to be out long term, like like I said, Klingberg's the only one that makes sense. Jacob Chikrin, four million dollar salary. Shane Gossespear, four and a half million dollar salary. Like those are the only other two I would even consider making a trade for, yeah, but it's yeah. going to, it's going to cost you a lot because you're, you're taking on a higher salary. You're going to have to move a piece to make it work. I just, I don't, I don't think it, it happens. I think if you're the predators, you ride this thing out, you try your damnedest to make the playoffs and you see how far UC Saros can take you. I mean, uh, yep. like David Boyle said a few weeks ago, they they're, they're right at where they expect to be at. They they're on the bubble of being a playoff team. And he said at the trade deadline, he, he expects to be two or three points either in or out of it either way. They're in the same position of they're they're going for it. So yeah, just don't just don't don't do anything. <laughs> just yeah, let the unless players... the wheels fall off in the next two or three right, weeks. Right, exactly. I, I, th I think you just stand pat. You keep yep. the team you have because right now, and, it, and this could be another byproduct of the beginning of the year. Ryan McDonough's <clears throat> Matthias Ekholm said it was going to take probably 30, 40 games before he and Ryan McDonough felt comfortable together. I mean, we could be we're forty what forty eight games into this now. We yep. could just be seeing the byproduct of they've finally had enough games to where they're gelling as a team. Yep. Who knows? Yep. Um, yeah. So that's that's basically our entire strategy for the for the final stretch of the season in the second half is do do nothing or just do exactly the same thing. Hopefully that you've been doing since the meeting. 
Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I did not expect to have this conversation today on the show, Michael. When we talked last week, I, I did not expect it to have this kind of tone and tenor. Uh, but you know, that's what, that's the beauty of sports. It changes quickly. We'll see what happens. Um, all-star all game is fun, I guess. <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot to say about the game itself. We'll, we'll, we'll be back next week with some stats and stuff for you guys, some analytics. Um, As if UC Saros wasn't doing enough, let's make him go out right. and stop bucks in the all-star game. <laughs> right. I actually love the, I love the games. They're fun. I just don't like, I don't watch the pro bowl. I don't watch. I, I used to love the major league baseball all-star game. Um, it, it kind of is what it is. Celebrate your players being there. I don't think it, I don't think it rewards enough players, frankly, for being all-stars. I think that's too limiting in the NHL, but it's a fun format. It's cool. I, I get it all. Um, there's one other bad piece of news that I don't know how it's going to, I've reached out to some people with the predators and have not heard back yet on this, but I'm trying to figure out what exactly, how, how much financial implications could be in this situation, but huge news, uh, I believe being reported, I think on Friday, on, on Friday, uh, day of taping that basically Bally Sports and Sinclair Broadcasting are going bankrupt. <laughs> like the entire thing, like they owe, I guess, something like a $140 million interest payment at, at, on like an $8 billion loan. And they just defaulted on it last month. And so we're, we're people are using the phrase like <laughs> biggest disaster in sports media history. $8.6 um, billion debt they have. Yes, eight point six billion dollar debt, and they defaulted on a hundred on just the interest payment last month, uh, and so they've brought in all these consultants to do basically they're going to file for bankruptcy, and it affects so many teams because and baseball, basketball, hockey, and the Preds just signed a new deal with Bally's like in September, I think, of twenty two, like just months ago, and so uh, they're they're probably fine in terms of their overall operating budget, which is somewhere north of a hundred. 110 million, something like that in terms of revenue. But you can you can best believe that a big chunk of that comes from Bally Sports signing that deal for the rights. Uh Saint it was mentioned that the St. Louis Cardinals get like almost all their revenue from from this particular contract. And so it's just just something to keep an eye on. Uh, how are you going to watch the games? <laughs> how are you going to see the games if all of a sudden Bally's just disappears? And a lot of those people that you see on television during Preds games, they don't work for the Preds. They work for like Sinclair Broadcasting, I yeah. think. I think so. Just, um, just be aware of what's happening. Keep an eye on that. Maybe that means the Preds can self-distribute through their own app. I think, which would be great. I think that's where we're headed long-term anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, so many people hate Bally Sports to begin with, so I don't really <laughs> see this as a negative for anybody except for Bally Sports employees. But well, and the it's, team. Just, it's crazy because. So the story I read this morning, I think it said that um, Diamond Sports Group, the company that owns and operates all this stuff for Sinclair and Valley and all that, they have about $585 million in cash, but they owe $2 billion in fees that they can't pay. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's they're heading towards filing for bankruptcy. Nope. I mean... We thought charging nineteen ninety nine a month was ridiculous, and so now it's going to be like a hundred dollars a month, so they can pay all their fees and stuff and stay in business. But I mean, Bally just had issues with streaming. It was hard to it, the, the app didn't consistently work. There were so many people that were just complaining about it. So I mean, yeah, it sucks for all the employees of Bally that are probably going to lose their jobs. But just from a sports fan consuming sports uh, standpoint, and you know, it's not really a bad thing for for all the Predators fans, I believe. But it, you know, it, I, I think it depends. How it will affect the team and 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 how the team is is yeah. streamed and stuff, and and how you can go and find them on your television stuff. I think is gonna you, we're gonna see an impact of that. I think the question is how fast can ESPN and ESPN Plus, and do they want to spin up an entire league's worth of broadcasting? Now, every team has their own like. Every team with a Bally's contract already has the broadcast team in place, right? Like it's, it's Hal, it's Lindsay, it's Kara, it's it, you know, it's um, uh, uh, Willie, it's Chris. Like they already, and all the people that run the cameras and the trucks and the producers and like they're all, they're all kind of there. But do they all just switch to like ESPN and then all of a sudden ESPN Plus buys everybody and all of a sudden is is doing it all themselves? Because there's no way it like a team could just try to do all of that. But now you're incurring huge cost to produce the games while not getting any revenue from selling the rights. So like there, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this helps fans in terms of consuming the games. Cause if all of a sudden the, the network just disappears, where do you actually watch games? 
and the predators yeah. are gonna the predators are gonna lose. I'm, I'm assuming in the millions of dollars in terms of what the rights actually cost to broadcast games. I don't know who swoops in and takes that. I, I don't know who can do that. I don't know legally who can do that. Um, and I'm just gonna say, just on a kind of not necessarily to wrap this up, but just as a really important point here, I for one, Michael Gallagher, am completely shocked, utterly stunned that Sinclair Broadcasting Group totally shit down its leg. Just just completely and utterly shocked that that is what took place. Just want to put it out there. Yeah, it's it's almost as if they have I've never done anything like this before. It's almost like they're not a real news organization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. It, it'll affect you from a pred standpoint of where you can go and watch the games and consume games. Yeah, I mean, it, it might lead to a spike in ticket sales for the team for in the short term, just because that might be the only way you can you can do it. Um that's it's weird, man. I've never seen anything like this again. Yeah, I mean, it, the Preds radio broadcast on one hundred two five is probably gonna they're gonna spike because that might be the only way you can 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 actually yeah. consume if you can't go to the game. But if I'm if I'm ESPN, I'm swooping in and I'm doing this because you can probably buy it on the cheap right now. Uh-huh. And if the way that the way ESPN Plus has their NHL streaming set up now is just terrible. You can watch all the out of market hockey you want, but for some damn reason, we haven't figured out with streaming services yeah. to be able to allow fans to watch games in market. Stupid. It's highly annoying to me when I want to watch a Preds game when they're on the road because I don't travel with the team and I have to go on like 10 different websites and try to find someone who's streaming it that I can watch their stream or whatever. Like if ESPN Plus would just allow me to watch Preds games when they're on the road. I would gladly pay a couple more dollars a month to be able to do so. It's just very inconvenient. So if I'm ESPN, I'm scooping this up. I'm buying it. I'm throwing it on ESPN Plus. Maybe you charge a little bit more per month because you just had to go out and spend millions of dollars in, in acquiring all of this. But right. especially if you want to be taken seriously, getting back into the hockey game, I think this would be a great move for ESPN. But who knows if they're actually going to do it because ESPN yeah. has a tendency to get in their own way a lot of the well, time. This is also, again, this is unprecedented territory. We've never had a a... a television broadcast network with the rights to a professional leagues or leagues like end in the like go into bankruptcy in the middle of the season again this is the the worst media sports media disaster are potentially in history and 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 so to see it happen in real time in the middle of a season while in particular the preds are playing well um let's say hypothetically it's worth 10 million dollars a year to the preds like uh, that's probably way overvaluing a year's worth of broadcast but maybe that's about right I'm I'm totally making that number up, but let's say it's ten million dollars a year that the Preds get because t- to give the rights to broadcast their games to Valley. Could ESPN swoop in and buy it for four? Because otherwise, the Preds get zero. Like that. Yeah. That's that's the question: is can they like you either get nothing or you get something? Are you willing to take something? And that's and again, some of that could be team by team, right? It could be. I think there's 41 different Valley networks. Not every hockey team. I'm assuming the Canadian teams don't have. They're not involved in any of this. Um, I. Not everyone is has a contract with just Sinclair and, and Valley um, or Diamond Sports or whatever the group, the subsidiary is. So uh, it's going to be I, I have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to cost the Preds money. I have no idea how they're we're going to watch games here moving forward. I would switch to YouTube TV if I didn't have to have Valley. Honestly, like I, <laughs> I, yeah. would, sw- I would switch in two seconds. The only reason I haven't is to watch Preds games. So I think we're going to see a lot of people that do that, too, that they might go to YouTube TV or Hulu TV or whatever, like because th- there's a lot of people I've talked to that said they only have their specific like cable set up because they they want Bally to watch Preds games. So I, honestly, know. like I could see the Preds. Here's an interesting idea if you're if you're listening over there, <laughs> uh, which we we know some of you do by the way, uh, over there at five hundred one. Um, I'm curious if you just again if all these folks don't have jobs, which would be terrible on the broadcast side. Could you just run the one hundred two five broadcast with a couple of camera people in the building and do home games? on your own app. Again, I I would I would happily pay 599. Oh, you for sure could, yeah. 5 599 a month or 699 or 899 whatever it is to get every Preds game broadcast home broad home broadcast on through their app. Uh you know, again, there's I don't know if of- all the television cameras set up around the arena, I don't know if those belong to Bally or the Predators, but I'm sure the Predators have enough money if they are Bally's like to go out and buy their own cameras. You set that up, you stream it on, on the 1025 app, you stream it on the Predators website. You you basically make your own version of like Peacock just for the Predators. Yeah. And you charge fans five, ten bucks a month. I think it's worth it. You a could Predators probably if YouTube you do that, you could recoup the money you could could potentially lose. We, so we are headed long term, we are headed towards self-distribution in some way, shape, or form for almost everybody, except for maybe the NFL. 
But like we are, we're already seeing this in college football, where every sports team is a production house now. They are yeah. all they're all production houses. So the question is, can you make it a full comp production house and then sell enough inside of it to cover your costs and make enough to cover the media rights that you would lose? So oh, again, you for sure, you for sure can. Like, I think we're. Deep I'm a in the 49ers here, fan, but, so. and the only reason I have the 49ers app is because there's sometimes I can stream 49ers games on through the app. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have the 49ers app. So I didn't know. I didn't know you're a 49ers fan. We we're bitter rivals the last six years. Damn, Kyle Shanahan <laughs> can't get past your ass in the playoffs. It's ridiculous. I but mean, I'm rooting, hey. but I'm rooting, but I'm rooting for you against the Eagles because they're not a very likable team. So yeah. uh, I, I love Brock Purdy. I loved him at Iowa State. So uh, all right, that does it. Long, long in the weeds conversation there about Bally's. Um, but we've got got some time off here. Uh, we're gonna have sort of an analytics episode next week with no games. So uh, stay tuned. Of course, uh, enjoy the break, Preds fans. You're a good hockey team. Not great, but you're a good hockey team. Don't do now. anything. Don't do anything stupid to screw it up. Okay, just just be good. Uh, for Michael, you can follow him on Twitter at mg sports underscore Nashville C Nashville Post. Check out all that great stuff over there. Uh, all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. You Preds fans, Max Hers on Lamestream Sports last week, so go check out that uh, as well. My name is Braden Golf. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go to Jasper's. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.